welcome to another edition of Whiskey Web and Whatnot. I'm your host, Charles William Carpenter III, and I'm joined by my frequent co-host, Robert William Wagner. And uh, our guest today in the Accessibility Edition is Eric Bailey. Hey, yeah. Hey, Eric. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for coming by the the web for us. Yeah, you know, it's it's a big internet, but I found my way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you were just saying how excited you are to try today's whiskey, but uh, before we do that, we'll just let you introduce yourself, tell the people what you got going on. Sure. So I'm a user experience designer by trade. I know enough code to know that I can break things pretty good. Uh, so that's fun too. And I have a real interest and passion for um, accessibility and inclusive design. I help maintain the A11Y project, which is a open source single stop shop for learning about digital accessibility with uh, posts and resources and all that good stuff. And uh, I do a lot of writing and speaking about the intersection of code, usability, and disability. Yeah, it's awesome. So aside from uh, being the law, you know, which we a lot of sites and applications don't follow, I think it's a, a very valiant and worthwhile effort to try and make the web a, a little better, a little easier for everyone. Okay, well, let's uh, start it off with uh, by making ourselves less accessible with a little bit of whiskey. <laughs> Today, we are trying the Jefferson's Ocean Aged at Sea Voyage number 24, which we can't find a ton out about that, which is probably on purpose because they're doing each one with different different blends and different times at sea and different boats and all of that. I don't even think it tells you like how long this was at sea. The premise is that they feel that it can accelerate aging by the movement in the boat and the different temperatures that the boat will go in and out of and just provide like a really different experience. So we know that we know it was on a boat and we know it's 90 proof. Yeah. Everything else is, hey, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And if it's been on a boat, we have to endorse it because of ship shape, right? Yep. Right. Exactly. There's a nautical theme, even though I live in the desert. Yeah, that still came through. That's the most fun part. Sorry, that's our show. <laughs> and cut. Yeah. <laughs> No, sorry for the, uh, I was just going to say for anyone wondering, like I totally broke all of my setup. We were talking about it before this. I broke my board. I brought it all with me intending to have good sound quality and uh, messed it all up. So Chuck is mostly running at this time, but uh, I'm here for the commentary. Mm -hmm. He's giving you the excuse why you're stuck with me more. That's all. It's like kind of a cola like smell to me. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Like more cola nut and not like not like Coke necessarily, but like the essence of it. Yeah. Yeah, more like RC or flat Pepsi or something. I don't know. Yeah, like whatever's left over at a barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it sat out in the two liter for a little while. That stuff. That's what it smells like to me. It's got a little bit of like a peppery aftertaste the same way like a Coke does. That's interesting. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely getting some pepper. Hmm. I think the salt air and stuff is supposed to influence it as well. I don't know if it's slightly salty or if that is just me, my <laughs> head putting that in, into my uh, taste there. But yeah, well, I get a little citrus at the beginning. I then feel like it has like a leathery quality and then it finishes kind of peppery. Yeah, it's not bad. It's actually like with that pepper, but like then isn't like harsh on the way down. Yeah, it's got like a 
not almond, but like same kind of very subtle up front. And then mm. the pepper just kind of hits. I want to know more about the boats, honestly. Like, are these like, is it extra storage room on some guy's boat or is it like a special whiskey boat? That's what it is. It's like different, like, um, transport boats or say, you know, Nat Geo is sending explorers down to Antarctica or whatever to do things. And they get on that boat like that. Just from what I understand, it's all kinds of different boats. That's cool. So, yeah, I'd be sorely tempted to, uh, steal a barrel if i was on that ship too i wonder if they work out a deal they're heavier than you think yeah turns out <laughs> taking one and tossing it in the sea and then trying to like scuba home might be rough <laughs> also the submarine that you had to rent in order to escape you just buy a barrel just call them up and buy one yeah yeah, yeah. i'd go that route <laughs> just the easier way was it i forget what expedition they found all the old whiskey on this was in the news like a couple years ago it was like some shipwreck but it was like still perfectly sealed and it was like from the 1820s or something and it's like oh my yeah but it turns out that might be terrible though yeah (laughs) (laughs) the sweet spot was like production from like around prohibition time because like they're still medically licensed places making it and then like all the way like through the 70s. And that was like apparently the sweet spot when there used to be Dusties to actually go and get and people would get like 1970s um, Old Forester or not Forester, Old Fitzgerald. And they were like, this is the most amazing stuff ever. But now it's all gone. Pretty much for us, plebes, it is. Yeah, I had once. So out of Mount Vernon in Virginia, they w- were making uh, the same like whiskey and brandy that that was made on Washington's original property. I guess they found some recipes and made it up. And I was like, oh, this is gonna be really cool. Allocated bottles. You had got like a small one for like $80. Tried it, it's terrible. It's horrible. Yeah. Turns out. I was just talking with a friend with like, there seems to be like strata of flavors, like especially with like candy, where it's like before we figured out like (laughs) food science. So it's like, yeah, this is a, burnt cinnamon butter candies because Mm. that's the way you know yeah that's what the people want so i guess at the time (laughs) they they didn't know how highly refined sugar and corn syrups could make their lives amazing yeah you know that new sound you're looking for (laughs) (laughs) right exactly before we go like too far down that path of whiskeys we're not having right now, we should probably talk about this one a little bit. So you may know we do a very strict rating system. It's one to eight tentacles, cleverly concocted from the octopus that is our logo. Octopus thing. I don't know. We're still up on that one. But um, so one being something that you would never touch and you're probably going to dump out and eight being like, there's nothing else for me. This is the greatest thing ever. It's all pretty subjective, though. So wherever you land on this one. Yeah, I'd say a solid six. Like, it's interesting. And like, I'm a sucker for a gimmick. And this is one. (laughs) And I think they did it right where like, it makes me think of, um, you know, those hacks to like super aerate wines with like a blender. Mm. But it's like that, but a little bit more considerate and a little bit more of like, this is an interesting story and a hook to bring you in. And then that like that peppery finish, like I don't drink a lot of soda anymore, but it hits that like taste memory for me of like, yeah, yeah. Okay. This is good. I like this. Yeah. I can dig that. You Robbie. Yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah, I guess I would give it, give it a six as well. I think it's uh pretty good. It is, does have that nice little bit of spice. 
I was expecting a little bit. I don't know. I think the gimmick like costs a little more because like for the price point, I was expecting something a little better, but it is very cool that it was on a boat. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So considering those similar points. So I like it to start with. I've had the two other Jeff's Ocean a few years ago. So early on, I think I had like the first or second one and then maybe a little bit down the line. And I was like, mm, I don't know. The first one I didn't really like at all. I was like, this is kind of a gimmick. The second one was better, but yeah, it was just it was fine. Yeah, it was, it was good. But, you know, the price point on these has started to go up and up. So I always kind of consider that for like 60, 80 dollars. Like, would I still have this or would I take the risk on this? Because with every bottle, it's kind of different with each voyage and release, different blends, different whatever magical places they go to. And this one has a little bit of unicorn rainbows to it. So I think it's pretty good. And I'd come back, you know, every time there's a different one, it's like starting over. So I'm going to give it, yeah, a, a strong six. So Voyage 24, it's good for me. Nice. All right. Cool. So should we talk about serious things a little bit as we sip? Why not, right? Yeah. That's what I say. So accessibility isn't necessarily a new thing in our industry, but I think that it's really started to be looked at seriously and and practitioners are taking a lot more desire and in including that in the like the definition of done in features and in applications and websites. So I don't know, tell us a little bit about how you got to to be working in the A11Y project and just accessibility in general. Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And like to your comment on like it's becoming kind of more prevalent in the front end space. There are jobs out there where it's like if you told me what you'd be doing, you know, five years ago, I would have laughed in your face. So like, right. Yeah. It's definitely <laughs> matured a whole lot in a really short amount of time. And that's really cool and really weird and really scary all at the same time. Yeah, because it's not just the threat of litigation, which was always one part of it potentially, you know, it's like this wide net of maybe you should have this, but like internally and, and like you said, job postings, like there are dedicated job postings to it because there's an understanding of the importance and seriousness. Yeah. I used to think like this shouldn't be a job because everyone should be doing it. But like the more I explore this space, the more I understand there is a need for specialization, like any other kind of technical consideration and like these roles cropping up i think are kind of evidence of that where typically it would be like the one accessibility person at the org who just field questions and slings code and you know hopefully get some stuff in under the wire and now like we're seeing a lot more of a systematic approach to it which is really cool because i think that's like honestly the only real way to get things done and same as any other discipline like the more you can spread that across a team you know, the more it actually will get instituted. Oh, right. There you go. Somebody's leading the initiative. They're kind of a product owner around that. And they're architecting solutions and spending the time as their full-time job and making sure that what's being implemented is sufficient and tested and all of those things. But then conversely, I think, like you said, I don't think you're, you're wrong in your initial thoughts. It is everyone's job, right? It's just a part of the puzzle. I mean, because you, you one person can't do it alone, but also you can't spread the onus of understanding like what is appropriate to apply and how and all of that kind of stuff. Like, so it's kind of both. Yeah. And I think like with those roles, it's definitely advocate and educator as much as it is like I see. But it's if you're doing it well, hopefully like you're also 
making it harder on yourself, by which I mean like the common everyday questions kind of fade away and you get hit with the really like tricky things where you need to go to like official documents and decipher what their intent means as opposed to like, I assure you, a link element is great for linking to things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, the semantics. I kind of feel like semantic documents have uh, kind of faded. It used to really be an important thing for a little while. And then there was things that added on top of that. Like, what was that called? Like micro formats or something that was supposed to like assign roles and like break down an article and and really make that more machine readable as well. Yeah, I'm a big micro formats dork and like the dream of the early 2000s semantic web is right still alive somewhere yeah we were trying to really do it at uh national geographic back in the day and because there was all that kind of content we wanted it to be machine readable and you know there's a ton of benefits from like a data analysis perspective as well as from an accessibility perspective but you know it takes a lot of time and effort and you and to a degree you have to be able to enforce that in some ways and machines weren't as smart then i don't think yeah i think like you know i'm i've been in the industry for a minute and there's definitely an ebb and a flow to it as well like we're starting to see like i would say like the third wave of web app creation and they're calling it what is it multi-page apps as opposed to single page apps which is basically like the internet is more than just a document delivery mechanism and like web apps are here to stay. You know, you probably use dozens of them every day. And so one thing that like single page page architecture does is it introduces a lot of, in my opinion, like artificial complexity. And I think we're starting to see a lot of pushback against that because the platform itself has matured. And so you're starting to see a lot of newer approaches that are kind of taking a second look at HTML and like consider you know uh, considering it as you know the first class citizen it's kind of always been uh, remix run comes to mind like progressive enhancement is really at its core I'm a huge 11D fanboy like most websites that are single page applications don't need to be like I just want to order a burrito that's just <laughs> let me pick the burrito toppings and hit submit that's a form that can live on a static page no big deal mm-hmm. right yeah that's true it's like we've come come around full circle. We went through all this like single page application stuff in order to like, yeah, snappy and moving through. And I don't want to go back to the server and render every page. And now we're like, actually, we could do that because the technology is better. Well, let's go back to doing that. And yeah, pretty interesting. I think on syntax, they talked about like, are we just building everything that PHP used to be into JavaScript and like saying, wow, this is new and cool and hot. And like, Okay, no, this this was PHP. Like, this is the same thing now. <laughs> yeah, we just got hardware that caught up to that complexity and some other new technologies to throw into it. Yeah. But yeah, to a degree. Yeah, it's kind of the heartbeat of the web, too, where it's like people will try new and interesting things and then the standards will adapt to them. And like, you know, you'll get improvements or new APIs. I'm super interested in the element transition API. And that's kind of to bring single page app like transitions to non single page apps and also single page apps. But I think it'll do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of the web competing with, with apps. This is not about accessibility at all, except it kind of is because it also like it'll hook into the prefers reduced motion 
API, which is really cool. So like people that get vestibular conditions triggered by like large amounts of motion can opt out or they can write their own user scripts if in styles if the developers don't think to. And that's huge compared to like a packaged app that comes down via an app store where you just kind of got to hope for the best. So as a fan of the internet, like I love that it's kind of a two-way street. You're able to kind of take what is delivered to you and modify it to get your own needs met as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I, for one, wasn't even aware of that API and thinking about that in the context of the transitions and the web and like web applications and how that could actually affect people as well. Are there people that are like, I, I mean, hopefully Parallax is dead, but let's just say that there's plenty of people still kind of doing that. Like I always thought something like that might actually apply in the same way to that API, right? Like, cause the weird 3d motion, whatever stuff that goes on there. And you're like, Nope, I would like to nope out of that a little bit. Yeah, totally. That's exactly the use case in my mind where, you know, throw in user styles, which is last in order of cascade inheritance uh, for a very good reason. And just be like, no, uh-uh. And like, what if that transition effect is something you use on a intranet site or like an internal application that you have to use every day for your job? Like having the ability to nope out of that is super cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think people have gotten a little bit crazy on some stuff. I think some of them are a little bit more proof of concept, I guess. Like people just want to show off how much animation they can put into things, which is cool. I, I like to look at them, but then, you know, everyone comments on the the post and it's like, wow, my computer is taking off right now because there's like so much animation happening. And, uh, I think there's there's a middle ground and we, we definitely should. But I guess that that's hard is like if you built it with all that in mind and you didn't build it with someone to disable it, is it going to work or not? Like if once you disable that, it's a huge problem. Right, right. Yeah. And then like the intent, I guess, right. So it reminds me of this term that I came across in like the mid 2000s or whatever, where when there was a bunch of like flash sites and they were just trying to basically do like little interactive movies on your computer. I don't know. It was just like a lot going on. And sometimes for like no reason whatsoever, especially like some kind of brochureware. So yeah, the guy was like talking about this and he said, like, stop the flash turbation. <laughs> and when anything's just like over the top and like goes past literally delivering you anything other than some crazy different visual experience but then i don't know is a website like a movie or like a game like an interactive or whatever else and if that's the intent then i guess that's something that perhaps you want to like preface and you know pull people into opt into but yeah i mean there's different like with the parallax thing is a very good example of something that was just like new and flashy and they applied it to every single business website ever. And that would be flash turbation to me. Yeah. I kind of need this. I need information about your hours of operation. <laughs> you know, no pun intended. I'm totally flashing back to like those five minute intro videos where it's like amazing. And then like lines sweep across the screen and there's like a grid for some reason. It's like, you know, it looks like a rave poster and it's like, we sell bread. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At the end. <laughs> Wonder bread. More kick ass than the other breads. Don't put your Velveeta cheese on anything else. Oh my God. Yeah. We're going to do that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Velveeta lawyers, please, please uh, ignore this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Most people ignore this podcast. Sorry, Eric. This isn't a total waste for you, but you know. 
Plus, we like the brand drop just to see if anyone will sponsor us, like ever. It'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Usually, it's stuff we're like wearing or, or that we're interested in. But I, you know, I don't mind Velveeta. There's the shells, good. Mm-hmm. I'm into that. Wonder Bread makes yeah, it. it's at least fifty percent cheese, right? <laughs> exactly, it's just cheese like product. <laughs> in a pinch, if you can't get deli American cheese, which is like kind of the best then this works for both smash burgers and grilled cheese sandwiches. Yeah. Yeah. You are correct on the smash burgers front for sure. That is right. Yep. Yeah. I've been uh, very into that. <laughs> we can make this some whatnot here in a minute, but like, yeah, I'm very into burgers and I have the uh, great American burger book by the way. So it's all these like crazy burger recipe things, but back to people and the internet. Let's talk about what matters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I know one of the things that that you had mentioned, and I think this really makes a lot of sense, is like thinking about how you're going to fix accessibility issues as someone who isn't disabled. You need to have people involved that are so that you know if you're doing it right. Like, can you talk a little bit about how you can do that more and that process? Yeah, that's a great question. What comes immediately to mind is the phrase, uh, nothing about us without us which is commonly used in disability circles, which is if you are talking about these concerns, having representation is so, so important. It's also worth pointing out the disability community is not a monolith. And then within different types of disability, there's no like unique rallying cry for each kind of kind of condition you may have. They're people, we're people. (laughs) And so it's important to, you know, when you do this, having ideally having um, disabled voices involved in the process early and often, but also kind of keeping in mind that like you don't want to tokenize. And this is something that like I'm, I try to be very cognizant of as I identify as abled, but I speak with and interact with the disability community. And the last thing I want to do is, you know, typecast or like tokenize or like suggest that this is the one true way to do things. And that can be intimidating, but, you know, these communities are really welcoming. They're really friendly. A lot of it on Twitter is probably one of my favorite places to go just to kind of tune in. And then, like, trying not to center yourself here, just being present, listening. If people are sharing their lived experiences with you, just making sure you keep an open mind about it and just be thankful and grateful that they're willing to expend the effort. And then, like, in terms of creating accessible change in your company or, you know, on your project. The thing that like really gets me is being afraid to try. And there's a lot, like there's a lot that goes into web accessibility. There's a lot that goes into disability, but it is a practice of incremental change. And the more you kind of immerse yourself in it, the more you kind of learn about it. But, um, a lot of the common access barriers are pretty straightforward things, stuff like headings and color contrast and um, plain language writing. Like, that's just good design. And I think those kinds of things are very easy to teach. They're very easy to kind of adapt into your daily practice. There is definitely a time and a place for, like, complicated ARIA configurations and stuff like that. But I think that speaks, again, to the emergent specialization that we're seeing. Now, this is something you can definitely scaffold out to designers, to developers, to content writers, to project managers. And just the more you normalize it, the better it gets. I also really like the concept of um, disability usability testing, where 
as a UX designer, like usable is usable. <laughs> if you're mm -hmm. using a mouse or a trackpad or a keyboard, that's usability. Sorry, you know, it's it's not just one of those. Right, right. Or even voice command. Uh, and so bringing people in who are daily assistive technology users and having them actually navigate through things is an incredibly compelling, incredibly eye-opening experience. And there's a little bit of nuance within that as well, where I can use a screen reader. I can also see, and I can turn the screen reader off when I don't want to use it. And that is very, very, very different to somebody that uses it 40, 60, 80 plus hours a week, all day, every day for the rest of their lives. They're going to have very different usability approaches and like uh, muscle memory and like techniques for navigating stuff. And it's going to be a lot different than my experience. That being said, every major operating system ships with a screen reader and you, it's totally cool to spend a little bit of time playing around with it just to see how it works. One of the cool things about assistive technology is it's pretty neutral about how it interfaces with the device. So you can kind of explore it and it'll, it'll work with you to get what you want. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That would be an interesting experiment to just turn on the OS screen reader and I've done it by accident a few times, but not like intently where I'm like, <laughs> how do I, how do I do that? You know? Yeah. But yeah, to like, you know, actually try to embrace that and see what it, it is. I do use some accessibility features though within my OS because I'm getting older and uh, getting blind and I make all the text giant, large font, high contrast, all that stuff. So I am cognizant of that. Sorry, Robbie, did you have a question? No, I, I think I was going to kind of comment on that as like, what's the best way to find some people to help you with this? Because like, you know, imagine you're a startup who has budget for like two people to work on your product. You probably don't have a ton of money to spend on making sure all of your accessibility is good or, you know, hiring people of different abilities to test it out. Are there any kind of communities that kind of are just into doing that? free or cheap or like, are, is there like a way I can say, Hey, everybody like, or automation maybe, or yeah. Or like, you know, what's the best way to be like, you know, I've got this thing. I really want to make sure it's accessible. I'm trying to do the right thing, but like, how do I get everyone to say like, yes, I did it right. Like I want to be for sure. You know? Yeah. I'd like to kind of kick that off with, if you can pay, pay, mm -hmm. you're asking for expertise for niche knowledge workers and the disability community historically faces a lot of barriers towards full-time employment. So paying people for their work goes a long way. Mm -hmm. That being said, you're not always working for an organization with unlimited budget and infinite money. If you are, I really like organizations like Fable, which do do these services and they do it through a lens of usability, which I think is pretty much the way forward in terms of uh, accessibility and digital technology. If you don't have those resources, check your community. Where I live, there is a school for the blind. They do a lot of community outreach, including coming in and using stuff uh, for people that are learning how to be blind in the world, including using a computer. That's really cool. And then one thing I do as a usability kind of nerd is a lot of tests. And you can just hit up Craigslist for the price of a coffee or something, just see if anybody takes the bait. Uh, and that's a perfectly okay way of using it. Uh, gorilla usability testing, you know, if you're just walking down the hall, although I guess I hope you're not in a hall right now. And if you're <laughs> out taking a nature walk, um, you know, talk to people, see what they think. 
Yeah, definitely. I like the uh, the umbrella that you uh, cast opened. I don't know. Now it's the the net that you cast. Yeah, the net that you cast. That would be sustainable fishing. I could go down yeah. other paths here. <laughs> the ideology that it's not just accessibility and usability, but usability is accessibility, right? And then keeping that in your thought process of like having something that the users, all of your users, any of your users can engage with. Yeah. That's an, an interesting way to think about it actually. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like, say, say you were talking to like a small consulting agency with a few internal projects and then obviously client work. And a lot of times clients have their own internals or consultants to like sort of enforce their rules around that. But like you want to do a good thing still too internally on what you put out and what you're making and whatever else. So like, what are like the get started best practices you would like start a new team with? Maybe that's a good way to think of it. Sure. You know, you mentioned automation. I really like CI/CD checks for code because it pushes against that one accessibility person that has to do everything and asking somebody like that to review every PR everybody in an org puts out is a recipe for burnout. <laughs> but, you know, a CI/CD checker, it's an emotionless robot that will scan every line of code and catch a lot of like lower hanging fruit, programmatically determinable things, which is both like good to keep you honest with like a paper trail, but also it's a learning experience. Tools like Axe, which a company called DeQ makes, they hook it up to a knowledge center. So you can kind of self-educate. Hmm. And um, I think that's pretty cool. And that gets you going, you know, going. The other thing that I like that that does is it frees up time for professional testers. So like, they can focus on the meaty stuff that isn't programmatically determinable. And that's great because that's really respectful to, to their time and expertise. So like, I will catch flack for saying this. I think the vast majority of access issues are actually created in the design phase. Hmm. We just like to gripe about development because it's more objective, <laughs> you know, test pass. Great. Cool. Everything good. Um, <laughs> but you know, things like color contrast, things like a consistent grid, having external consistency with other, you know, experiences other than your own. So like dear checkboxes look like checkboxes. Hmm. I'm thinking of some brochure where site where some, you know, genius designer was like, we're going to make them circles. <laughs> and like, I'm like, those are radio buttons. <laughs> this is confusing. Right. Or not just do they look like it, but are they checkboxes? Yeah. If you're making a div look like a checkbox, it's still not <laughs> very accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I, I wish, you know, it, things are getting better. I wish the platform had better primitives for that kind of stuff because like making an accessible checkbox that looks pretty is something you got to spend a little time to do. You know, if you have a design system, great. Solve it once, extend everywhere. If you're banging out one-off sites, you know, every three weeks or three months, like that's a little bit trickier, mm -hmm. especially if it's, you know, if you have uh, retention issues or like having to teach the same thing over and over again. So, you know, I hope initiatives like OpenUI give us a little bit more leeway with styling because the experience of learning about accessibility oftentimes stinks because you're often dinged for it. And it's something that hypothetically you're not introduced to as a practitioner. And like that puts a really sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. So it's like, not only did I mess up something I didn't know about, 
but also I need to rework what I did. And also I need to like completely refactor it for this like complicated code setup that uses a lot of like terms and attributes that I've never heard of before. I hope I got it right. Mm -hmm. Also, if I don't, I might get sued. Cool. Great. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, the more you can kind of bake it in earlier and the more you can kind of have like robots checking and like just being cognizant that, like this exists in the first place that does a lot of the heavy lifting. So you avoid that really negative interaction. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Very interested in some of these automation tools that you can hook into and getting feedback about how poorly we may be doing in this realm. Yeah. I blame Robbie. It's fine. We know what you did (laughs) (laughs) on the design side as well. Like there's tools like Stark, which does a color contrast calculation. So like you don't have to do math. You just click a button and it goes, yep, looks good. And you can carry on your way. And like, if you're setting up a brand palette, if you're, you know, figuring out the colors for your site, you know, do it there. Good job. Don't have to worry about it anymore. Hmm. Yeah. Lighthouse also tells you, I think, right? Yeah. Lighthouse uses a subset of Axe under the hood. And I think it was a really smart move that they did. And I wish Google had the courage to have that portion of the Lighthouse score affect search ranking like every other part of Lighthouse does. Hmm. Yeah, and that would say, that really say we care. But the problem is, is uh, well, I guess that's just for organic search because they're always going to prioritize like paid ads. Yeah, so it just is what it is in that sense, and they do kind of block that off. So why not? Yeah, they did it for Panda, their update where they um, kind of waged war on non-responsive and M dot sites. So mm-hmm. that'd be about the same level of significance, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah, I think they'll get there. I think it's just they do things very slowly. Like they've told us that they're going to get rid of, I think, the original Google Analytics or something. And they're like, you have until like the end of 2023 to figure it out. <laughs> like that nothing moves fast there. So, yeah, I think that I think they'll get there and they just they don't want anyone to be like changing the entire Internet overnight and like freaking out over like, oh, my God, we've all got to change everything. But I, I do think that someone large like that does need to be the driving force to make sure that things are going the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people have to be at risk to lose money either through litigation or marketing or whatever. And that unfortunately is a lot of times what will move the masses. Yeah. I'm pretty pragmatic here. Like whatever gets the job done. I prefer to lead with honey instead of vinegar, Mm -hmm. but whatever does it at the end of the day. Yeah, indeed. I'm going to go into some lighter things now. We talked earlier about what applies to smash burgers. So are you a burger connoisseur such as myself? Or are you just like, in that realm, I know what I want. And that's what it is. I'm more a grateful recipient. Oh, gotcha. (laughs) Yeah. My upstairs neighbor who I'm friends with is like a really accomplished grill person. Mm. And I've been benefiting all summer for his expertise. (laughs) Yeah, it's not too shabby. I do like a good smash burger. I do like a good Juicy Lucy. Mm. You know, takes all types. You know what a Juicy Lucy is, does Robbie? I do not. I'm assuming it is loosely packed <laughs> or something. Yeah, it's got the, the cheese in the middle. So when you breaks open, it's like, like a just mm. delicious goo coming out. Yeah, that's in that book that I mentioned. There's this guy... The one who wrote that book, George something. I, I don't know. I forget. He's been on the burger show on Foreman. No, no. He's got kind of like Wolverine like chops going on. I forget his name, but uh, 
anyway, so he had like a show. He has this book about all these like traditional burgers throughout different regions of the United States and like shows you how to make the basic kinds of burgers, like the smash burger, the pub burger, all of that stuff. There's a steamed one that's a little weird. There's a deep fried burger that actually looks pretty good. And then he was also on the burger show, which is first we feast has a couple of different shows. Like one is uh, the most famous one is hot ones, but they have some other shows and one of them is about burgers and it's yeah, it's awesome. If you like burgers, which I do. So you just watch all food related TV. Well, not only. No, I like docu-series. I like, <laughs> but I do like some food TV. Absolutely. I've watched like plenty of stuff like Bourdain stuff and a bunch of David Chang shows. And yeah, there was this chef on Netflix, which I like because it opened up um, with that French guy who moved to Argentina and he was doing like Argentine asados, like all traditionally. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, I really enjoy that. Top Chef reruns have also been doing an incredible amount of emotional heavy lifting <laughs> during quarantine. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's reasonable. So I touched on Wolverine. Have you heard of that character, Wolverine? Oh, oh yes. If the black glasses didn't tee you off, I'm a giant nerd and grew up reading comic books like 90s X-Men. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, very nice. Yes. Yep. I was also a comic collector, unfortunately, in the 80s. So just means I'm older. I'm old. But yeah, yeah. So you're into that now still? Yeah, yeah. I do um, collections a little bit more than like individual issues. I, oh God, this is so nerdy. Uh, I really like this series, um, Delicious Dungeon, which is manga. And it's about like a little fantasy hero team that goes into a dungeon and like cooks what they eat so you know there's your connecting thread of food and comics (laughs) yeah there you go sounds fun i sometimes read comics here and there like i had someone i I got brought back to it probably like five years or so ago and someone introduced me to lock and key i was like okay stephen king's son let's check this out that was cool saga was another one i read and loved saga yeah yeah. And then here and there, I just uh, get them from the library. You got like the digital thing. You get them at the library. It's pretty awesome. So any suggestions you have, I will take. Saga is pretty great, but that's already on your list. It's coming to mind because I just watched the trailer, but uh, Paper Girls. Oh, uh, yeah. It was really cute. And then, uh, oh, man, I'm getting put on the spot here. <laughs> that's uh, the Why the Last Man guy, right? The same one? Yeah. Brian K. Vaughn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. There's a show for that, too, now, which I haven't seen. But yeah, I'll wait for the shows. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Lock and Key is a show. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch that. Yeah, it's interesting, but I thought I like the comics better. Mm. Personally, just kind of like the translation isn't always there. Yeah, I really liked uh, Transmetropolitan, which is a future journalist kind of fighting the system. Mm. Uh, it's written by Warren Ellis, who is one of my favorites, but then it's kind of like his, his opus. A lot of like X-Men has been doing a lot of cool stuff with their like um, powers of X and stuff like that. And like, you know, it started off as a civil rights kind of metaphor and it's kind of morphed here and there into like sometimes a disability metaphor, sometimes like a trans rights metaphor. (laughs) And it's like, it's interesting to see them kind of playing with it (laughs) and then kind of like, nice updating the characters to mit, you know match the zeitgeist but also you know shoot lasers out of their eyes <laughs> right right <laughs> you still gotta have cyclops come on og <laughs> i never really understood cyclops like he can't stop shooting lasers from his eyes that 
That's what the glasses were for. That sounds terrible. <laughs> Lasers from the punch dimension. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, what did they do before they were able to... And also, why do his eyelids stop it? <laughs> <laughs> well, then we get into, like, weird, like, you know, why does he need ruby lenses? And, like, how did he figure that out? Like, did he iterate on it? Or, like... Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Professor X was the one who figured it out, right? Yeah. That was, but, like, his first student. and But he's not, like, a material scientist. He's just, like, a guy that's kind of creepy and perps on your thoughts <laughs> <laughs> as a school. Listen, James McAvoy is fine. What's wrong with that? Or, <laughs> you know, depending, do you like old X or new X, you know? Or young X. Yeah, that's my, that's my rapper name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> young X. <laughs> old X, young X, old X. We could be a duo. I'm old X. Yeah, yeah. I do like the Patrick Stewart and, um, well, I'm blanking on his name. I like the, that Professor X and Magneto's actors like to hang out in real life and get up to hijinks. Like, that is that is adorable and more, I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like old British stage actors, like, hanging out for fun. Yeah, who are, like, accomplished enough that they just don't give a shit what other people think about them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm loved. Paramount Plus wants me whenever. Mm-hmm. I just backed a dump truck full of cash up to my house and, you know, <laughs> yeah. bang out three seasons. And my great-grandchildren are happy. They're like, we're going to get some of that. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I, it sounds like X-Men has been, like, the constant thread throughout all things X-Men. So, I mean... What do you think? Staying at Sony Studios or whatever, Fox? Yeah, they're at Sony, right? No, Fox had them. So Fox had them. 21st Century Fox had them. And then I guess since Disney bought a bunch of media stuff from that, I mean, do they move over? Do they become part of the cinematic universe or are they still ostracized? I really hope they get moved over because... Like, it's it's weird that, like, characters get lent for, like, IP reasons. Yeah. But, like... You kind of had your shot there, and it's yeah. I don't know how many more of those movies I can sit through. Yeah, yeah. I can't keep having reboots every time somebody want, like changes their mind on how it should have been before. Yeah, yeah. Like the uh, the Marvel shows on Netflix were amazing, and then they were like, "Hey, uh, we want you to not make these anymore," or like, "We want tons of money," or or something. I forget. I yeah. I don't remember if they actually gave them an offer and wanted lots of money, and they said no, or like it happened but there's like no we're not making them and they're like okay well we're gonna remake them again but like they can't use any of the plot from the previous ones now so they can have the same actors same thing i thought daredevil's getting moved over like as is no 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 it cannot have the previous plot so that's kind of ridiculous like i want to know what happened but (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's very comic book to like retcon the heck out of everything and like retell it. But also like, yeah, I enjoyed Daredevil. Like I liked that little universe they built up. I liked that it like infiltrated the other Marvel Netflix shows. Yeah. There was crossovers there and yeah. Mm-hmm. And like little like background details of like, you know, stuff that went down, like the battle of New York like affected the real estate in Daredevil, which like showed up in this, you know, in like, one of the other shows. Yeah. But all that's going to be gone. Yeah. Daredevil was like the number three streaming show. I think I remember reading like of all streaming shows at the time on any platform. And they're just like, no, we can't figure out a way to make this work. Too much money involved. Mm. Yeah. And then they tried to make all the other shows, which were like 
Luke Cage was good. I like Luke Cage. Luke Cage was good. And then they kind of like started going down with like Iron Fist and Jessica Jones and like, very adjacent. Just give me more Matt Murdock. Yeah. Yeah. And don't let it be Ben Affleck. Okay. (laughs) Are you a Ben Affleck hater too? No, I, I, I'm fine with him. I just don't like him as a superhero. Mm, Fair. I remember renting it and being very excited because it was like, all right, comic book movie, like any port in a storm here. And then watching it and being like, I feel like I'm forcing myself to like this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How did you blow that? And like he's competing with George Clooney for where's Batman? So I don't know. It's true. Clooney probably wins because like basically it was like a vehicle for selling toys. It was so campy, but it's close. I wish they just like went full in and like had different bat suits to be like yeah this is going to be a toy we all understand this like yeah <laughs> costume changes every act you know what was good though what the gotham show oh i didn't watch it but i have heard good things about it i feel like it was just like it was very good you pay for x number of streaming services and it was just somewhere where i couldn't get to easily or something i don't know it was on like nbc or like right. real tv that's free like you didn't even have to do anything <laughs> but i'm a cord cutter and then like trying to set up those oh yeah it's so funny because nbc has a lot of soccer too and i was trying to set that up to get normal nbc and for whatever reason the digital antenna that i set up could get every channel but nbc it was like terrible on nbc so yeah you're telling me you can just get tv for free you could yeah <laughs> <laughs> i think it's crazy the networks are free over the air and they're the holdouts for every streaming service. They're like, no, we want hundreds of millions of dollars to be on your service. But you're free over the air. Like, yeah, what are you doing? And in both <laughs> platforms, you're still going to show me a shit ton of mm-hmm. commercials. I'm not getting out of commercials by giving you money. Nope. So this is dumb. I can't pay everybody $10 a month or $20 a month or whatever. It's commercials, which actually got me to pay for Hulu for real because it was like, if you wash out of commercial making school, I feel like you make commercials for Hulu because just whatever they syndicated, <laughs> I was like, this feels like a bad movies version of a parody of a commercial, but it's like not even good enough to like be funny. And I just kind of mm. like, I was like, I'm spending too much time overthinking these things. Right. All right, fine. Have my money. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's their intent. Is there like, there's no quality <laughs> control here. We're trying to get them over on the other side. So, yeah. We want it to be bad. Yep. Get that more expensive subscription. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm thinking like the, the five hour energy drink ones, like where like the lighting was off and it like it felt like they found an alien and said, please make a normal human commercial. And he's like, yes, I shall. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I understand them to be. Just make it with a phone and charge them, you know, two hundred thousand dollars. That's the dream. Yeah, that is the dream. <laughs> yeah. It's like the guy that uh, I forget what song it was. I even forget which artist it was these days, but there's somebody like made a beat and charged that artist like 300 grand for it. And it was like a garage band loop. Like they just <laughs> clicked, like add this to the track and did no work and charged 300,000. There you go. Perceived value, right? Yeah. You know what that isn't? That's not five beats a day, every day for three summers. Definitely not. It's my Kanye West reference. Mm. I forget which song that was. It was an early one back in the day. I don't know. You have a lot of Kanye references. A lot. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. The more I drink, the more Kanye comes out. Ooh, that's going to be 
I should stop drinking. And it's like a werewolf, but for Kanye West instead. <laughs> yeah, I turn into <laughs> Kanye. Yeah, with a full moon. Your shoes turn into those ridiculous Yeezys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then this hat just turns red because you know he did the MAGA dad hat. Mm-hmm. So bad. Yeah. Okay, we've devolved. Well, the flip side of comic books. You said you're also into video games, right? I am. Yeah. yeah. What do you play? I have a Switch mm-hmm. because I very deliberately restrict myself to it so I don't completely disappear. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I like indie games a lot. I just finished up like a rerun through of Breath of the Wild because it's nice. every mechanic that I hate and yet I love it. So that's a testament to how good the gameplay is. You're right. I can do a little bridge work here, too. The gaming industry is also going through an accessibility renaissance. And hmm. what's interesting there, I think it's because of a lot of very uh, sizable lawsuits that have been settled in private. But if I could do it all over again, I'd do accessibility in video games because people are embracing it. And like, there's some really cool stuff rolling out, like The Last of Us Part Two, which is kind of like the go-to example. The amount of customization you can do in that, like is mind blowing. <laughs> mm. And like, meanwhile, I'm over here being like, I wish you would add a focus style, please. And they're like, we've completely reconfigured this game to match to your unique needs. All you have to do is configure it to immerse yourself in our world. And I'm like, I want to go to there. I want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would have been really funny if you would have said, uh, <laughs> where you were like starting to say like, well, if I could go back and change things, I would sue them all. Yeah. <laughs> and I was wondering if you were in, I would just sue them and take the money and then this would still be the outcome. So it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like on that again, like, you know, how many more people are they winning over for like, you can literally play our game now. And like, mm-hmm. it's not a big deal. It's in an options menu. And like the same way you remap your controls, you make the font bigger for the subtitles. Like there's some really cool and because everything's tracking and everything has telemetry, like there's some really cool data coming out. Like, I think it was Sony tried, I forget which game, but like they shipped with subtitles on by default and like 60% of all the users of the game didn't disable them once they were turned on. Hmm. And like, that's cool. That makes me notice because like, yes, people that are deaf should have the subtitles so they can understand what's going on the same way somebody who isn't deaf can, but also like, it's a nice quality of life experience and a lot of people like, probably don't even investigate it unless it's on by default and then they don't either because they don't care to or they enjoy it they don't turn it off yeah that's cool yeah i mean it's beneficial from an accessibility standpoint and then like you said there's there can be all kinds of life reasons to include these options anyway it could be like oh yeah oh my wife's watching a show and I still want to be able to play the game with, and I'm not going to put on headphones because that's disengaging but i can read all the stuff i'm on the switch here you go i can read it and there we go like, yeah. Or, you know, yeah. when you're like me and you're up at midnight because you can't sleep and you're playing games with something else. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it says explosion to the left. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I frequently use the subtitles because we have a three month old and he's not supposed to be exposed to the sounds and explosions and whatever. So, yeah, I use the subtitles on like all my games. Yeah. Well, is he supposed to be exposed to the blue light from your gaming console? Well, we face him away from the TV. I I mean, I guess if there's some 
off the back wall. He gets a little bit, but like he's yeah. mostly not exposed. The soft, soothing light of a PlayStation Five. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting too because I think uh, so. What you were saying about like, oh, there's this one game who's just really setting the standards and doing things great, and it makes me think about how like it's kind of one game that has ensured that I continue to own a switch and breath of the wild was like, Oh, this is amazing. And then played some other Zelda ports and stuff just to kind of like stay engaged. And then when in the midst of the pandemic, you know, they went crazy. There was like supply chain issues and people were paying double for used ones. And I was like, yeah, maybe I sell it because I'm opportunistic. And then I was like, well, breath of the wild. Yeah. Cause if I sell it now, then when the new one comes out at some point in the future, next year, I don't know. They keep kind of pushing it. Next year. Yeah. Yeah. It was this year. It's next year now. Yeah. I'd rather it be good than rushed. It's <laughs> kind of my point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, totally. Agree. Agree. And there's other things like uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater was one that I started playing on there. And then I, I can also play uh, Mario Kart with my son. And yeah, it keeps giving back. Yeah, I have a, a PS4 on borrow from a friend, too, and that's just for, like, Thursday night game nights, which is going to be real interesting, you know, two glasses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, like, it's more social at this point. Like, I don't really consider it a console as much as I consider it, like, an extra step on Discord to chat with my friends that are living in faraway places. And so, like, mm. games are social that way, but also... We are playing. We're just also trash talking and stuff like that. I do that a lot with a lot of my friends because we think it's more acceptable than just like calling your bro up and being like, hey, how's it going? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's more fun to like play a game and, and chat than it is to just call someone. <laughs> so. Yeah, I tried that and it would it did not go. Well. <laughs> so. It's more fun. Like I do a co-op gaming with like my brothers and we've done a few times in like internal happy hours and stuff. So you get on like rec room on Oculus and decide to play Pictionary or play. You can play like paintball or disc golf and then I'll play mini golf with my brother. We tried a couple like regular games, too, where you like shoot things. I'm not very good at shoot things games, so. Yeah, kind of steer away from those. But uh, yeah, yeah, there's some like fun things across a couple of uh, Stadia is another interesting platform because you're not stuck on any one machine. It's all uh, streaming. Yeah, I think Stadia was ahead of its time. And also, like, I swear I'm not trying to dunk on Google, but like, <laughs> I think they have a history of trying cool things and then it completely abandoning them google glass or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i've seen that streaming like portal i think there was like a switch demo that tried it too and i was like this is the future i think you're just a little too early to it yeah it's still alive for now and i got like a free subscription a pro subscription with at&t so i i bought like one game and then otherwise i just like try out whatever's free in the month nice yeah I used to do a lot of uh, like itch.io and like steam and Hmm. stuff like that. And like, yeah, I'm going to show my age here. Like I, you know, I got into computers by building them for, so I could play like half life. And then I kind of got sick of building computers. (laughs) So then I switched over to Mac and uh, (laughs) whittled my options down. Yeah. Same. That is exactly what happened to me. I, I got into tech through building computers and, trying to like hack stuff around and I was always trying to fix something. So then I, I just one day I got lended a Mac and I was like, oh, I can just do stuff. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That seems good. Yeah. I then took that and built a Hackintosh mm. trying to do that afterwards. And it, it worked for a while, but like it works until it doesn't. Yeah. And then you're like, I should just use a Mac. Exactly. <laughs> I did that because I had one of those like Dell minis and I wanted like a small footprint. because I was like traveling in Europe for seven months. So I did a Hackintosh for all of that. And it was fine during that seven month period, but you're always like, don't do any updates. And he's <laughs> just, so, you know, just don't mess with anything for now. My buddy has a Hackintosh that he's like brought forward from 2015 into 2022. And like at this point, it's like, wow, it's like watching somebody operate like an espresso machine because like the amount of like weird rituals and like stand clear of the like <laughs> scalding steam. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but it works. You know, I have no idea how, but like it belongs in a museum. <laughs> right. Like seven years is uh, that's a testament because. Yeah. Yeah. Just keeps jamming RAM into it and <laughs> keeps asking for more. <laughs> nice. All right. We're, we're at time here. Is there anything we didn't cover? Anything you want to plug or let people know about before we end here? I mean, first, thank you for the opportunity. I've listened to y'all before, so it's nice to be a, be a face on it or a voice. And um, the accessibility project is A11Y project.com. <laughs> we have a checklist, which is kind of a quick one-stop shop for some common accessibility issues written in plain language. We also have some posts and some resources, and we are also open source and we pay for articles. So if you are interested in contributing, we'd love to have you. We work with Git as well as uh, not Git if that's not your strong sweet suit. Speech. Wow. Great. Cool. Uh, I can do it. Whiskey is good. <laughs> yeah. Whiskey is yeah. good. And the other thing is you don't have to feel like you are an expert in either the field of technology or accessibility. We want to hear from a diverse range of voices, and that can include learning about disability and accessibility and your perspective, which is very important. That's my plug, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. You want to end this, Chuck? I don't remember what you say for the end. All right, whatever. We'll, we'll have bad audio. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe, and we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io.